0: Let's go. Hello, and welcome to Sustain Open Source Design. Is it Sustain Our Design? No, it's Sustain Open Source Design. Yes, Yes. Yes.
1: Sustain Open Source Design. SOS.
0: Bonjour, bienvenue at Sustained Open Source Design. Unfortunately, the rest of us will be in English. I do not know French, but this is the podcast once again, where we talk about sustaining open source and also design and the intersection, interflux, intermediary points between design and open source communities. I'm really excited to talk to our guest today about this. Before we get to him, I want to make sure that you know, oh, listeners, who the other hosts are on this podcast. So I'm Richard Litauer. Hello. And then we also have Memo Esparza. Memo, how are you? I'm great. Excited to be here. Excited to have you. And Errol Fox. Errol, how's it going?
1: Yeah, pretty good. It's great to be here.
0: Excellent. And our guest today is Jeremy Long. Jeremy comes from the south of France, but currently lives in Berlin. Not Berlin, Vermont, but Berlin, Germany. But this will not be in German either. Jeremy is a font Dude, I'm going to let him tell me what that really means in a couple of seconds. Jeremy, how are you doing? Hi, Richard. I'm super glad to be
2: here. And uh, yeah, I'm a font dude slash type designer. Call it whatever you want. Funnily, we don't have a proper name for that in French. So we are also always messing around with a different appellar, like, ways to say it. But I draw letters out of a living.
0: Well, I hope font dude is now firmly an appellation that you can use from now on. Fantastic. Can you tell us what that's like? What do you mean you draw letters? You make font types, right?
2: Basically, I create species of software. So fonts are a small software with a like, box for each letter, where like each letter is stored as a vector image. And you can also have other things stored there, like pictograms punctuations, obviously, emojis are fonts too. And also I'm concentrating myself more on Latin, but basically you can have now pretty much not all, but a lot of written system in one unique font.
0: Awesome. I really like that description and I love this job. On the Sustained podcast, which is related to this one, we've had Dave Gandy before from Font Awesome, which is I think the number one open source font index in the world, and that was really cool. But we haven't had designers who sort of do this freelance. And so I'm curious, what does that look like for you? Where do you get your money as an open source designer?
2: First of all, I would like to make clear that I'm not 100% open source designer or open source designer at all, and also not Floss. I'm using proprietary fonts where the software beside open source software. I have different source of income, which is cool, which is nice, and I like it. But when it comes to open source type design, my main income came from people coming to me and asking for collaboration where the knew the fund will be open source at the end. With France, we are running a foundry in France called Velvetine. And we have this label, we are a bit established in France, and we made a relationship with clients and some of them wanted to have their phones made by us, but also on the platform available for everyone. So then they came to me and to other designers over the time and they us to design a custom phone, would could have been proprietary, but who, which has been released as open source under. So this is how as an open source type design designer, I can earn a living. But besides that, I also make proprietary custom phones and Retail funds that are not open source and sold on other funds like uh, none or code.
3: Yeah, that's really interesting because in pretty much all of our conversations we've had so far, this kind of subject keeps rising because some people believe that there's a tension between working with open source and like being 100% open source yourself, like you serve everything open source. And uh, yeah, it's great that you raised up and clarify that for everyone, because I believe that one way to make open source sustainable in the long term is to diversify also your income, your like ways to be sustainable. And following on that idea, I would like to know how was your path as a designer? I think you're a graphic designer as well, up to the point on becoming uh type designer, and then I incorporated the uh, open source side of it. How was that?
2: I would just like to uh, make a remark on what you said about the fact that not being a 100% open source designer, I think that even if open source should have, and especially in design, more ice balls on it, not everything makes sense as an open source project. If everything was really that open source, then we would be like floated by open source project and it would be harder to navigate through the open source world. So maybe I think it's important that there is a decision that it made, like, does it make sense to make this project open source or not? And why not? But to come back to how I began the profession I am today, I made a graphic design and type design study. I'm really not a self-made person. And at the end of my studies, which was already 11 years ago, I was contacted really fast by Hanka.dei, founder of Velvetine. So open source foundry I was talking about earlier offered me to release one of my fonts as open source. At this point, I knew really few things about open source software, open source things at all, and it was all very new. But I got super enthusiastic and joined the foundry Velvetine, and it became an ongoing collaboration. So basically, my first step as a professional type designer was where as an open source type designer. And then it took me years to make non-open source fonts, in fact. Or I had the font that I was also just keeping for myself. So I was at first an open source type designer, but working as a graphic designer for uh, traditional, I would say, uh, non-open source clients and also having jobs. And I mean, you can't really summarize 10, 10 years of uh, work experience like that, but I just started to make more and more money with fonts through... Open source custom project, non open source custom project, and later on through retail projects and also like became freelance, uh, like totally independent at some point, like seven years ago, something like that. And here I am now.
1: So I made a font once and it was really bad, as you would expect a non font designer to do. It was actually made using paper and a grid. So it was really quite a long time ago, more than 10 years ago when I was a very young designer. And we drew the letter forms in the gridded paper. And there was a piece of software, I think, I don't remember what it was called, but it was a an agency did a workshop about creating your own font. but. Essentially, I've still got it, I think, the file, and it's a very illegible font, which not all fonts need to be legible. But I was curious to know, and I think a lot of listeners will be curious to know, we all use fonts, we all use typography in some ways, and I don't think a lot of us know what the process is. So how do you start to build a font? Or build some topography and right through to kind of the end part of the font when it's used. And does that differ for commercial non open source fonts and open source fonts? Are there different standards that you use?
2: A really good question. First, you should have seen my first fonts or and a lot of my fonts that were also ugly and a lot of them are and were and still are eligible. And I think that's. Fine, and legibility and legibility are just standards on which people agree somehow. And I think the difference between a type designer and a mental designer. A lot of people start a phone, but do we just like continue making fonts? And it's a bit this question like, oh, when did you start drawing? And the question is like, when did you stop drawing as a child? And I think as designer, we never really stop somehow. And about the process, I think the creative process of drawing font is really different for a lot of people. It can come from calligraphy, it can come from uh, like start directly on the computer. I learned to draw on tracing paper and then like correcting with a sharp razor to make the perfect curve. I was not really good at that. Anyways, you start drawing things at some point, you draw them with vector lines, with the basic curves. And that's... First, what's our fonts today? They are almost all of them made of basic curves. Some stores information with uh, pixels, but it's not the biggest standard. But then, like, basically you could draw, and it happened to me, a capital and lowercase plus number font in one day or two. So what's the difference between that and a finished font. And I think like, the question is a bit like a book. A font is never finished. You can always add and you can always continue to work on it. And, but then there are standards. And for instance, I think you heard about the ASCII standard. And the ASCII standard is like uh, this, this image which were made of letters. The name of this encoding standard for, for letters, which are like with 256 characters in a font. And it was one of the first Standard encoding system. And it's basically Latin with really few accents and 256 letters. You don't go so far. You can't even write proper French with it. I mean, you can write mostly French, but you will like miss some accents in some rare cases. And basically, you will decide like how many characters, like what the character set you want to aim. And basically, depending on your target and your audience and the need of them, mostly if you hundred signs in a font. And that's the difference between like a sketch with just the basic letters and a finished font. And then there is a lot of technical production, like you need to take care of the spacing, kerning, which is like particular, like all the particular combination of letters, you need to check the spacing, like things that it shows well on screen. And then also you need to check that it's showing properly in uh, font menus in everywhere. And gladly our modern fonts elsewhere help us with that. But we have a lot, all the time, a lot of bugs and glitches and we need to to check everything. And that's, yeah, that's mostly uh, what professional font production is. And it's not so different between open source and commercial fonts. The question is just like, what's the aim and what's the target? The and for instance, the biggest open source font project now, I think, is Noto, made by Google Fonts, with a lot of companies working on it. And it intends to cover most written languages and their technical standards and the amount of characters in Noto is way higher than in velvetine Fonts. But the doesn't make it a better font. It just makes it a bigger font.
3: I'll say, here, Jeremy. And how you used to be an open source type designer first. It sounds like working in open source helped you reach more people and bring more people's attention to your work. So is that how it happened? It was like a commercial
2: channel to you, your professional career? Definitely, but it was not intended as so and it was more for years a playground or so and it's still a playground. Because I was not confident enough to, I mean, even if I worked in a type foundry really, like when I started my career, but I was not really confident enough to, I think, try to regular money with fonts. And also the market was really different than it is today. Today it's easier for young type designer, which is really great. And the market's more open. So many ways to uh, earn money and also there's less gatekeeping, I would like to say, yeah. Also it helped me getting more confidence. But I think one of the reasons it helped me getting more audience is also because I was participating in this somehow brand that is Velvetine. And so together with my friends in time, we built this collective, which is also a brand which helped us getting more visibility as the collective, but also individually. I think that is as a if issue, just... Release an open source project, but don't make any or just put it on a platform where you are invisible. So then basically useless in terms of visibility for you. But maybe I'm wrong.
0: So one of the things you said earlier really struck me, and it was that a font is never finished. And I really like that. And I like that open source has helped you out so much. One of the major benefits of using open source software is that you can fork a project. And you can basically say, I'm going to edit this and then you can do upstream changes eventually if you like, but you can make your own version of it and go forward. And I wonder if you've seen that happen in the font community as well. Do people come and take a font and then slightly edit it and then have a different version? And do they collaborate on fonts that way? That's something that came super late. I mean, somehow, like at Velvetine, I think for the
2: first five years of us existing, we had three folks, like really things that were really punctual. But also, I think we also designed the code world, a lot of the creative world, adopting open source ways of working as normal ways of working. And a lot of software's and things like that are starting to be used by non-open source people for a non-open source projects. I mean, like also private repositories or private Git repos that will never be made public. And so as... The front community started to be more used to, uh, to open source ways of working. And as somehow the frontier between collaboration and open source starts to blend, we saw more forks happen. And now that's something that is happening way more in, uh, on Velvetine, at least. And uh, the main things that we see is people expanding the character set to add uh, more language support. Basically, we have more and more people adding Selic, for example, to fonts. i in Greece adding Greek from time to time. We don't see so much, what I would say, like color remix, something that's the creative modification. Someone who would like take a font, say, I like it, but I would make something different out of it. It's not so fun. Now I'm in contact with a designer who's doing something like that with one of my fonts and making something way bigger with it. And it's really exciting. But... Still, it's rare.
0: Thank you. It's really interesting to hear that inner sourcing has actually helped a lot using open source practices internally. has helped help people understand how to do this work. That's something I, I wouldn't have expected. I would have thought that more font designers got together and collaborated more easily outside. I mean, when I think of a f- font, I think of typography. I think of painting on science. It's one of the oldest things that we've done as a civilization is figure out how to make images or letters look similar and look good together. And So I would think that people would work together on that to make it easier. But when you talk about open source code, you're saying the opposite, that people worked in silos. And then slowly, as they started working in their silos in certain ways, using open source methodologies, they eventually started working together in open source. I find that really interesting. Thank you.
2: I mean, I think that there is both, but the open source market now is mostly a market of product retail where people sell their work. So. The font community won't switch to an all open source community right away. It's not like everyone will put their work for free on their foundries, which are shocks, for instance. Yeah. But still they are making open source fonts more and more. And also, especially when clients are asking for open source fonts. We saw IBM. We see Google also, Google fonts paying more and more established foundries and more and more designers to develop open source fonts or improve the existing catalog. So the frontier are blending, I would like to say. Yeah.
3: Jeremy, and talking about the boundaries between open source and collaboration, as you mentioned, how do you see some project being collaborative with open source rules or framework? And when that project becomes open source? Because, for example, there's Some projects, especially with type design, as you also mentioned, that is never finished. And some projects like start selling the fonts with the first releases and you can buy them like for less money. And as the font grows and more people can contribute to it, it grows and it starts to rank higher. And if you entered first, it was cheaper for you. But, you know, that's not really open source because you pay for that. What's the difference or how do you see the relationship between that kind of collaboration and how that collaboration can become open source?
2: Now you are talking about, notably, the model of future fonts, which I had some fonts on. I had drone and digestive. my two first. I started, in fact, selling fonts there at first. And without future fonts, I have to say that I think I wouldn't have jumped to making retail fonts so fast or at all. I don't know. They revolutionized the way of selling form by making less dramatic and making it okay to sell an unfinished project and being clear to the clients. And as you said, they would like buy early an unfinished project and then have three updates of the project. And at each update, the price will rank up. You said that it's because people have to pay. It's not open source. And I'm asking myself the question, is it or isn't it? Because Open source is not about the fact of having to pay or not. It's about being open and what you can do with it. It's about the license itself. So I think something in between kind of uh, could be done. And I hope something in between could be done or some innovations can be done. But definitely future funds borrowed a lot of ID from open source and they acknowledged it. And it wouldn't have been possible without open source. And I think it's like everyone is quite great about it. And it allowed it to even more blend the frontier But on future fonts, projects are made mostly by alone designers or small teams. And I mean, I have to say that it's often the case in type design that fonts are conducted by a small team. I mean, it's harder from fonts to different people working on different aspects of one font at the same moment. It happens mostly with either language someone will work on the Chinese while someone will work on the Latin while someone will work on the Greek or styles. Someone will work on the Italic while someone will work on the Roman. But most of the time, and even in open source projects, people will agree on that and have some kind of common timeline and check together things. And most of the time there will be a supervisor. It's, I would say, maybe less organic than in some other places where someone will just fix A smart aspect of the project and could push this update.
1: This is such an important conversation. And I actually think that we've talked about a lot of important things on the Sustaining Open Source Design podcast. But I think this topic around, is it still open source if you pay for it? how do we value open source? Is money and exchanging money and how we exchange money part of how we value open source? And I think that there are so many different ways that we can have this conversation and so many different perspectives that can be drawn in. And I have to say from a designer and a somewhat of a previous artist's perspective, I think that there is Still, the case that you can have an open source artifact, a font, an illustration, as something, and value it by exchanging value, something of value, be it money, be it something else. But I do think that this is such a critical topic to be discussing within the design space, because often, as designers within open source, speaking from a personal perspective, I have entered into the open source space just absolutely having done the prior emotional work to say this in no way belongs to me. I relinquish all ownership of this. And therefore, to some extent, I am actually realizing now, to some extent, I'm relinquishing the value that I place on some of my more creative work. And I don't know what the question is here, but I just want to express how complicated this topic is about how we enter into the open source space as designers, as people like pouring love and creativity into the things that we create. And I think that through this discussion about SOMS is is one of the first times that I feel vulnerable about this topic. So thank you. I want to really thank you for bringing this. And maybe my question here is about your thoughts on How do you feel about the ownership of what you create and what kinds of thoughts have gone through your head as you've been creating typefaces and fonts around the complex nature of ownership in design practice?
2: Okay, so first of all, I can't agree more about the importance of the question of value and the retribution of the creators and the open source and the design open source world because it seems like different open source communities have different ways of being... uh, Retributed for their work. And now developers have somehow are contributing in the frame of their paid work to open source projects or using them and things like that. While it's more complicated for designers, it seems. And in Thai design, money for open source fonts now is coming more and more for the biggest corporations. And number one, from Google Fonts and from Google. And I'm not here to say that this is something that Google fonts are bad. I'm just questioning this kind of monopole of the um, the monetization of the open source type designer world or the retribution. Because then the vision of what produces open source fonts is getting aligned with the vision of these giants who are putting money in the open source community. And if individual designers, small client would put money in open source smart project directly hand to end, to the small designer for open source funds or design assets. I think the landscape wouldn't be the same. The creative landscape wouldn't be the same and the technology landscape wouldn't be the same. And I think there is something to find here, which is something, a wave beside the giants. That's really important because some important aspect of
3: open source communities is decentralization. So as you say, it doesn't really make sense that in this particular case of typeface design, most of the creative infrastructure is owned by just one player. And um, following up on that, just wanted to ask you like double question of some sort because I want to know what do you think it's happening for design communities to be more open in the future? And what
2: would you like to see happening? I will answer your question, but first I I realized also that I forgot to answer the previous question about ownership. And I think that just to answer quickly, some of my most recognized and well-known fonts and work is open source. And I mean, Pillow Lava, which I drawn with Anton Molia, And the fact that people like modified them, but for instance, mostly by adding other language supports, didn't make me less the author of them. So I think it's pretty clear. And if someone would modify would make really a fork, a creative fork, which I said it like is really not happening so much, then the name of the font would change and the name of the, oh, I would discuss with the creator, but most likely the name of the font will change. There would be gray zones, but there would be no mistake between what I did and what I'm the author of and what this other creation is. And I mean, at least for now, it's a, a question that I can't answer more than that. Then. Yeah, it's not happening so much, at least to me, that project mix like moving in such a way between people that you lose ownership or, but it happened in the time, but still, in general, the first person or we still try to carry a vision and this vision remains in the final thing. And now about the memo question about opening the uh, community and I think it's like it needs more link in the community, more communication because I feel that a lot of people are doing things in their corner there is no global discussions, not so much. Even if I know other people doing open source forms, and especially in Europe, but maybe it lacks discussions. But also, yeah, like I think a way to make a living out of it, out of now projects ordered by one of the big giants. Like, Projects that also don't change so much from commercial projects. What I want to say is like, now when a designer is asked to draw an open source font for a technology giant, I don't think that the as a brief is so different from a non-open source project. And there's something about that.
0: Thank you, Jeremy. It's been really great listening to you. It's been an awesome conversation. I really enjoyed it. But we are running up on time. And so I want to make sure that we get to a few other things before we end the show. First off, I want to know where can people find out more about you and follow along with your thoughts?
2: Thank you, Richard. So people can see my work on my website. It's called studio triple dot fr. even if I'm now living in Germany and also the open source Fundry I'm part of. Is called F R and both me and Velvetine are on Twitter and yeah, not Instagram. You'll have all the links there and also in the description of this podcast, I think.
0: We will. Thank you so much. That's awesome. Look forward to checking you out there and I hope the guests do as well. And now it's time for one of my favorite parts of the show, which is Spotlight. A Spotlight is a small section where we just show a link or a name to someone or something which has either helped us out in the past or someone we really love, who just we feel like they should get more light. Memo Esparza, what is your spotlight today? My spotlight for today is a collection
3: of open source principles and methods. And uh, it has helped me a lot of times throughout my creative path. So really, really recommend that. The URL is principles.design. Pretty simple. And it's open source. You can contribute, do a couple more things to it. So check it out.
0: Sweet. the gracias. Errol?
1: I think I've shared this spotlight before, possibly even on the Sustain Open Source society podcast, but I'm going to share it again. It is Kigelia or Kigelia, which you can find at Kigelia-font.com and that is spelled K-I-G-E-L-I-A. And it's a beautiful set of typefaces for African languages that was created by Janra Patel. And it was so beautifully researched and so beautifully done that I bought the physical booklet of all the beautiful fonts that were letter pressed and printed really great. So really encourage folks to check out that typeface project.
0: Love that. Awesome. My spotlight today, I've Almost positive as well that I've shared this before is Ricardo Magalhas and Coffee Table Typography. You can find that at typography.com. Although the certificate is bad right now, but if you accept it anyway and get through, it is still there. This is one of the few newsletters I read that has to do with fonts and typefaces. And I just absolutely love it. Ricardo is a great designer. He lives up in Montreal. I've tried endlessly to get him on our podcast and I keep failing. So Ricardo, if you're listening, this is about you and I just love this newsletter. So Thank you, Ricardo. Jeremy, what is yours?
2: So I was going to talk about ProcessWire, which is a CMS, simple CMS that uh, Raphael Rafael Bastide from Velvetine Made Me Discover. Our website is using it, but I can't not talk about OSP.kitchen. OSP are a uh, Belgian collective making open source fonts and open source design, graphic design for years, way before Velvetine, way well before us, and who has been Revolutionizing so many things, and they have a playful and really well documented approach. A lot of what I do and what Velvetine is doing wouldn't exist without them. Check them.
0: Awesome. Merci. And I think that's it. Thank you so much for being on this podcast. It's been great to have you. I really hope that Velvetine goes well and that you continue to develop awesome fonts and share them. And let us know if we can help out in the future. And thanks again. Thank you. It was great.